We're going to be uh, looking again at First uh, Peter chapter two, continuing from last week. I suggested to you last week as we are going to endeavor to understand what Peter's saying, why he's saying what he's saying to us. It's important for us to understand the background and the background. Remember again, the first half of chapter one, Peter has told us of this great and marvelous salvation that God has given us. And he uses tremendous expressions. He says this, this glorious inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, that God has chosen us, that it's by the very work and the power of God that you and I are saved. We are kept by God. So as he describes this marvelous salvation, the salvation from sin and from death and from hell, salvation that that encompasses this life as well as the next. A salvation that gives us a hope. A salvation that gives us a peace and a joy. Uh, this tremendous salvation. He tells us all about it in the first half of chapter 1. And then beginning in verse 13 of chapter 1, the second half, he then goes on to tell us how we should respond to this great salvation. And obviously we respond and we receive it by faith. Isn't that true? We are saved by faith. It's because of God's grace to us. And so though we respond and receive salvation by faith, there are some tangible ways in which we express this faith. And these tangible ways Peter now instructs us in. He tells us about salvation. He says, now, now, this is how you should live in response to it. This is how you express the fact that you believe. It's not just you say you believe, but there are tangible, dynamic expressions of faith. And there's three of them he points out to us. And the first one is found in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Who can tell me what that is? What's the first response of faith? Be holy towards God. Be holy towards God. So he calls us then to be holy towards God. If you're a believer, we are commanded to be holy towards God. To turn toward Him. To to live our lives as what? Living sacrifices, right? Holy towards Him. Be holy because I am holy, he says. The second of those three Dynamics, those expressions of faith, is found again in chapter 1, verse 22. Not only are we to be holy towards God, but Peter also tells us that we are to what? Love one another, how? Deeply from the heart. It's not a, a surfacey love. It's not a, a perfunctory love. It's not something that just uh, is, is appearances. It's a deep love from the heart. And again, that speaks of what? Sacrifice, doesn't it? So being holy towards God requires us to be living sacrifices. Loving one another deeply from the heart is, again, another expression of being a living sacrifice. And then the third dynamic we began to study last week. The third dynamic is in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Who knows what that one is? Crave the word. Crave the word. Now, if you think about it, Being holy towards God, loving one another deeply from the heart, craving the word. 
Now stay with me. Doesn't that, those three things, doesn't that really kind of sum up the Christian life? It really does. I mean, everything in Christianity, everything in the Christian life is summed up by those three uh, dynamics that Peter spells out to us. So, now last week we began looking at this third dynamic, crave the word, in chapter 2, verse 2. And we, we, we said that genuine godliness, genuine godliness is always characterized by a love for and a delight in the word of God. That is such, such a powerful statement. Genuine godliness. If I am truly becoming more like God, that's what godliness is, I'm becoming more like God, then that must be characterized in my life, in my own heart, by a love for and a delight in God's word. If I have not that love, I have not that delight, I cannot claim that I'm becoming more like God. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So genuine godliness, genuine godliness is characterized by a love for and a delight in God's word. Turn to, where you, turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Now urge them on, urge them on to delight in and love God's word. Now, as we follow on with that thought, we looked, at a, we looked at a number of verses last week, and Psalm 119 was probably uh, the, the most uh, excellent example of this great dynamic, that indeed, in the life of a believer, that believer's life should be, what, marked and characterized by a delight for God's Word. We saw that in all those verses, all those verses last week. And this is really the issue that Peter lays before us today is do we delight, do we love God's Word? In short, do we crave God's Word? And for many, the truth, if the truth be known, the, the, the reality is that many do not crave God's Word. We'll acknowledge the Word. We'll say that, yes, it should be read. Every Christian, if, if I were to say, do you believe that we should read God's Word? Every Christian would say, oh, yes, absolutely. But then the next question is, do you? Well, um, yes, uh, ooh, uh, uh. Every Christian should have a love for and a delight in God's Word. Every Christian should have a craving for God's Word. So the question before us is, do I have that? Do I have that? Do I have that craving? And if, you, if the answer for you is no, and if you're, if you're willing to be honest, and you say, you know what? I don't have that craving. I don't have the craving. If that's you, then you're at the right place at the right time. Because this morning and the next week, we're going to talk about how to develop the craving for God's Word. Isn't that exciting? How many want to know how to have the craving for God's Word? A craving, an absolute craving, something maybe heretofore you've never, ever known with respect to the Word of God and spiritual things. We're going to talk about that. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the first two of these five dynamics. Next week, we'll look at the, at the final three. So uh, this little three-week mini-series will be very, very helpful to you with respect to the Word of God. Now I want you to read with me again chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 1 Peter. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Don't you love that verse? And then verse 3, he says, Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Oh, gosh, I love that. I can hardly wait till next week when we can come and talk about that. Now, five principles necessary, five very, very important elements, dynamics, principles necessary if you are to have a craving for God's Word. Now, this is important for all of us because even, even though you're sitting here and you say, yes, I have a craving, I love God's Word, I delight in God's Word, these are very, very important things for you to learn so you can pass them on to others. You can encourage others because we all are going to talk to people and many, many Christians who, quite frankly, do not have a craving for God's Word. So this is some ways you can help them and encourage them. Here's the first one. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Remember your life source. What is it? Remember your life source. If you are not craving, if you are not craving the Word of God, as Peter instructs us to, then you have forgotten something. You say, I have. What have I forgotten? You have forgotten your life source. You say, what is my life source? That's what we're going to talk about. What is your life source, and have you forgotten it? It's critical for you to remember your life source. Now, what is the first word in chapter 2, verse 1? Therefore. The word therefore, in that one word, this whole point exists. So I have five pages of notes on therefore. We are going to plumb the depths of therefore. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> therefore. Therefore is such an important word because it's a transitional word. And it points back to what Peter has already told us in verses 23 through 25. Turn back to verse 23. What's he tell us there? What does he say? Read this with me. He says, for you have been born again. You've gotten new life. How? Not of perishable seed, but of what? imperishable through the living, enduring Word of God. Every form of life comes into existence through a seed of some kind. That's how God chose to work. He designed it that way. Every form of life comes into existence through a seed. And so your new life, your born-againness, came into existence not through perishable seed, but through what kind of seed? imperishable seed. And how does he describe? What, what designation does he give that imperishable seed? The, word. the living, enduring Word of God. Beloved, that is your life source. The living, enduring Word of God, that imperishable seed, that is your life source. And he goes on and he says, and he compares the living, enduring Word with with man and how he's so transitory on this earth. But he says, God's word endures and endures forever. And he says, this is the word that was preached to you. This word that gives life. 
the source of your new life. Now, question. What is the single greatest miracle that ever happened in your life? How many would agree that's your salvation? The single... You could... You know, we say, God, God bless me, do this, do that, do this, do that. Give me this, give me that, give me this. We got the gimme's, right? Okay. But if you, if you think about it, the single greatest miracle, salvation. God, if you never give me another thing, if you never bless me in another way, you have blessed me beyond measure already. Salvation. Salvation. So our salvation, the single greatest miracle that's ever happened in our life, it's our new birth. I am born again. Born again to a new life and born again to a new eternity. Isn't that glorious? A new life and a new eternity. This was a miracle worked by the imperishable seed of the living and enduring Word of God. Is the Word of God important? Absolutely. So Peter now is urging us, indeed commanding us, to crave the pure spiritual milk of the word that we were born again by. That through which we were born again. He says, crave it. Crave it. Uh, all weekend I've been getting testimonies from mothers. This is marvelous. And I got another testimony from Tracy and Nia this morning. But a number of mothers have come up to me who... who having children and having gone through that incredible experience of nursing their children and, and understanding uh, a number of dynamics, one of which is how the child uh, just longs for that nourishment, craves it, and, 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 uh, and, and how the mother feels when the child longs to be nourished and how God... God must feel, if I can use that expression, when we long to be nourished at the breast of his word. What an incredible thing. What an incredible spiritual truth uh, that, that mothers who have nursed their babies can so intimately, wonderfully understand and grasp. Wow. Tremendous. So, this living, this enduring word of God... In essence, Peter tells us, was the very power of God that transformed your life. It's the Word. And since this living and abiding Word brought you new life, think with me, since it saved you, since it changed you, since God's creative grace worked by the Word was the seed that gave you life, His creative grace by that Word, the seed that gave you life. And since the Word is your life source, he says, therefore, 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 crave it. Crave it. Why? Why crave it? Simple. As a source of your continued transformation, as the source of your continued empowerment, as the source of your continued maturity and growth. Crave it. Crave it. If it changed you in the beginning, it'll keep changing you now. Crave it. If it was the source of your life in the beginning, it'll be the source of your continued life now. Crave it. Beloved, have you forgotten your life source? Have you forgotten it? 
Have you set it aside? That word, therefore, reminds us to remember our life source. Not to set it aside. To remember it. To remember how important it is. How powerful it is. How essential it is to our life. Remember it. That's, what the, that's the input of that word, therefore. If you don't desire the word, then you have forgotten the power of the word in your life. You've forgotten your life source. Do we want to live and go through our Christian life without the word of God? No. No, but so many Christians are. They're going through the, their Christian life. They're living their Christian life. And if the truth be known, they quite frankly are doing it without the word of God, without steady nourishment from the word. Have you forgotten that it was powerful to change you? Have you forgotten what it did in your life to save you, to give you new life? And are you going to take that powerful word and set it aside? No. No, I'm not going to set it aside. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to pick it up. The life-changing seed. That's what the word is called. The word is called the life-changing seed. It is the seed, the imperishable seed that gives life. It gives life. This is why Paul in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 16, calls it the word of life. It is the word of life. Beloved, the Bible just isn't a book written by men. It is the inspired word of God. It is living. It is active. It is powerful. It gives life. Isaiah chapter 55, great passage. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Verses 10 and 11. And how wonderfully does Isaiah... The prophet testified to the power of the Word of God. Listen to this. And he, he likens the Word of God to the rain and the snow that come from heaven and water the earth. And the cycle that's, that's built in that God has designed for rain and water to come down and it's taken back up and evaporated and recycled. We all know that cycle. It's essential. He identifies it right there in verse 10. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, making the earth bud and flourish. How many want their lives to bud and flourish? That there be seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Everything you need. He says, just like the rain does this on the earth, the principle holds true. He says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God sent his word, beloved, that you and I would bud and flourish. Jesus said, I came that you should know the truth. Did he not? And knowing the truth, we would what? We'd be set free. We'd have freedom. Have freedom. He said, I came that you should have life and have it to the full. How many want life to the full? How many want freedom? True freedom. Freedom from the power of sin as well as its penalty. And greater and greater and greater freedom from the very presence of sin in your life. Yes. It's here. 
My word, my word, he says, causes your life to bud and to flourish. Woo, don't you love it? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer to the Hebrews says much the same thing, uses different words. Listen to how he describes the word. He says, for the word of God is living and active. It's alive. It's powerful. He says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. How does one divide the soul and spirit? We can't do it, but the word of God can. He goes on and he says of it, He said, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How many know, how many know when, when, uh, 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 when we do something, we do something from mixed motives all the time? No pure motives. When my wife says to me, why did you do that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just did it. I can't judge my motives. We have to be careful about judging each other's motives, the condition of our hearts. The Word of God, that's the Word of God's job. And it's our job as we stay in the Word of God, as we stay in the Word of God, that the Word of God clarifies our motives. The Word of God separates out the stuff for us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, testifies to our spirit. But it's through the Word. It's through the Word. In John chapter 15, verse 3, listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, you are already clean because of what? Of the word which I have spoken to you. So it's through the word that they were what? They were, ca- they were, they were being caused to bud and to flourish. They were cleansed. They were washed with the water of the word. If I can use Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 5. We know about that, don't we, Tui? Washed with the water of the word. I've been made clean. Jesus spoke his word to them. They took that word in. It was a source of cleansing and strengthening life. It's the word that gives life. Say that with me. It's the word that gives life. Are we saved by what? What are we saved by? Faith. We're saved by faith. Now notice Romans chapter 10 verse 17. We are saved by faith and faith comes by hearing what? The word of Christ. You're born again by imperishable seed, by hearing the word of Christ. God gives you the faith to believe. Isn't that marvelous? Absolutely marvelous. John chapter 20, verse 31. John writes this. He says, these are written. In other words, all the things he's written in his gospel. All the things he's written about Jesus. He says, these things are written that you may believe. These words are written down that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life. Life in His name. His Word. There's a direct connection between His Word and life. If you don't know His Word, if you don't believe His Word, you have not life. It's your life source. This imperishable seed, the living and enduring Word of God, is your life source. It gives you life. Beloved, the word is spiritual. It is inexhaustible. It is inextinguishable. You can't exhaust it, and you can't extinguish it. It's alive, and it's powerful. 
and it's your life source. It gave you new life. It gave you new love. It gave you a thrilling, marvelous, glorious, fulfilling, joyous life full of hope, peace, grace, forgiveness, and power. That's what it did for you. That's what it did for you. Don't set it aside. Don't set it aside. You should come to crave that word. You should crave the power inherent in it. Paul says of the, of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of God, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, it is the power of God. There is power inherent in God's word by his spirit to save, to transform, to give life. God's word is powerful, beloved. It's absolutely powerful. Turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I want you to look at verses 7 and 8 with me. David, who God used to pen most of the Psalms, himself loved God's word. It's reflected here in this Psalm. In verses 7 and 8, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. That word reviving could also be translated uh, transforming the soul or uh, converting the soul. It's perfect. It's all I need. The Word of God is all I need. I don't need other philosophies. I don't need other theories. I don't need other teachings. I don't need to integrate anything else. I just need the Word of God. It is what? Perfect. You need reviving? You need transforming? You need converting? Guess where you're going to go to find it? The Word of God. Crave it. If your life needs transforming, if the relationship you're in needs transforming, if you are without hope, what should you do? Crave the Word. Because it's perfect for what you need. It's perfect for what you need. Let's read on. He says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You need wisdom? Who, want more, who wants more wisdom? <laughs> yeah. What should you do? Crave the word. Well, I'm not very smart about life. Crave the word. Is the Word going to teach me about life? Absolutely. It's going to teach you about life. It's going to teach you the truth about who you are, what you are, what life's all about. It's going to teach you everything you need to know about relationships. It's the relationship manual par excellence, the Bible. Crave the Word. Crave the Word. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. If you lack joy in your heart, if you are a bummed out, depressed person, and you are making other people around you depressed, golly, crave the word. Crave the word, beloved. You want wisdom? You want joy? You want life? Crave the word. Crave the word. He says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. 
What a beautiful expression, giving light to the eyes. That's hope. I have hope. When people have hope, there's a light, there's a sparkle. You can see it in their eyes. Because why? The eyes are the windows to the soul, are they not? I have hope. Why? Because I'm craving His Word. I'm reading His Word. I'm meditating on His Word. I'm hiding His Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. His Word is rich. It's alive. It's powerful. It changes me. Crave His Word. Crave His Word. How many parents do we have? You know the best thing you can do for your kids? Read the Word to them. Read the Word to them every day. Every day, read the Word to them. Read the Word to them. Read the Word to them. They're all over the map. They're looking. They're squirming. I know. Read the Word to them. <laughs> I have one. I know. Read the Word to them. I don't care how little they are. You can't start too early. We started reading Proverbs to my son when he was in the womb. Can he hear you? I don't know. He's grown up with the Word of God in his life. We read the Bible. We read the Bible. We read the Bible together. He reads to me now because he can read now. <laughs> one chapter. One chapter a day. Just start at the beginning of January. One chapter a day. Just read the Bible. One chapter a day together with your kids. You read that chapter or they read it, ask them, what, what, what's the defining issue in that chapter? What's the defining issue? You're going to hear back from them. You say, oh, I don't know. Let's read it again. <laughs> I don't know. Let's read it again. <laughs> the best thing you can do for your kids is foster in them, foster in them a craving for God's Word. Foster in them. And then just God, God will speak to them. God will speak to them. You don't have to teach them. You don't have to teach them. You don't have to, you don't have to be heavy-handed. Just God will teach them. The Word, the Word, beloved, is just as powerful, just as powerful in your life today as it was when you were first saved. It changed you then, it'll change you now. If you want to have a desire for the Word, don't forget your life source. Don't forget your life source. Don't forget the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, this imperishable seed was the source of your new life. Do not forget it. Do not turn your back on the greatest power you possess. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at what God will do in your life. A steady diet of His Word. A steady diet of His Word. Craving it. Craving it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says again about the Word of God. Marvelous. He says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. See, men didn't just write the Bible. But you accepted it how? As it actually is the word of God. Now notice, notice, which is what? At work in you who believe. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? You crave the word, you read the word. It's at work in you. It's doing its work. Every time you open up the Bible to read, you say, God, God, do your work in me. Let this word have its effect on me. Now, this is not magic. This is not new age gobbledygook. This is not psychobabble. 
This is God's word that is empowered by his spirit. These words, the Bible says of itself, are God-breathed. These are God's words. They have power inherent in them. We need to have them in our life. We need to embrace them. We need to say, yes, like a newborn baby craves its mother's milk. You and I should come to the breast of God's word and nourish, nourish, nourish. Crave it and let it do its work. Let it do its work. You say, well, I have these issues I have to work on. You don't have to work on any issues. That's God's job and the job of the word. Your job is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How do you work out your salvation? Be holy towards God. Love one another deeply from the heart. Crave the word. How do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Be holy towards God. Love one another deeply from the heart. And how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? I hear a lot of mumbling out there. You ought to write those things down. You ought to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, write in your margin. This is how I do it, being holy towards God, loving my brothers and sisters deeply from the heart, and craving the word. That's how I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Then what's the next verse? Because why? God is at work in you to will and do His good pleasure. Woo-wee! Do we want God's will? His will is the best, right? We say, God, don't let me miss your will. Don't let me settle for fifth best. Because most of us settle for that. There are a lot of Christians crumbling. There are a lot of Christians crumbling. There are a lot of weak churches and weak Christians, beloved. There are. A lot of Christians roaming around wondering why their Christian life isn't all that it ought to be. They're not craving the word. They're not craving the word. You're not going to be clueless. You're not going to be walking around and say, oh, what's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? What is that? Where do I go? You get an appetite for God's word, you're going to know. You're going to know, and God's going to lead you, and he is going to change you in all that process. You're not going to be the same person that you are today that you will be. One year, one year with an insatiable appetite for the word of God, one year, you're going to be amazed at how much you're changed. You're going to be absolutely amazed. People are going to look at you and they go, whoa, you are not the same person. You say, hallelujah. (laughs) Right? All right. So we want to know the word of God. We want to have a craving for the word of God. We don't want to be powerless. We don't want to crumble. We don't want to be weak in terms of our faith and what God would have in our life power of God, the Word of God, is still able to perform in you what it did when it first saved you, change you. Remember your life source. Here's the second point. Second point is found in verse 1. Verse 1. Read verse 1 with me again. Therefore, rid yourselves of some malice, some deceit, coexist with a little bit of it, Translated here in the NIV, uh, rid yourselves, 
That's a literal interpretation. Rid yourselves. It means to put aside. It means to reject. It's a word that describes the taking off, the shedding of filthy garments. Get rid of that stuff. Strip it off. Have nothing to do with it. Beloved, part of craving the word includes getting rid of stuff. Getting rid of stuff. And the ridding ourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. This is a command, by the way. It's not a suggestion. You have to get rid of some stuff in your life. You just have to do it. You say, well, I've tried. I've tried to get rid of it. I just seem can't. I can't do it. You don't hate it enough. And you don't crave God's word enough to want to get rid of it, really. And so you'll justify, you'll justify your hypocrisy. You'll justify your gossip. You'll justify the evil and the, and the stuff in your life. How many Christians have you heard say, they say, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect, but that's not an excuse. And yet we use it as an excuse. Well, I'm not perfect. You have no right to judge me. (laughs) Don't tell me that. The Apostle Paul tells me, I better judge you. I better get in your life. I better get in your face. I better point these things out if you're not willing to acknowledge them. Because it's essential for your life. It's essential for your life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul uses the same word that Peter uses. Almost identical words. He says, but now you must rid yourselves. Look at the words he uses. You must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. How many have a quick fuse? Temper. Man, oh man. What does it say? Get rid of it. Anger. Rage. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. You say, how do I get rid of it? Admit it first. Who, me? I don't, I don't get angry. I have no problem with anger. Admit it. Confess it. Then repent of it. If you don't admit it and confess it first, you'll never repent of it. Why? Because it's still a secret. It's still a secret. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him what your problem is right now. Say, I have a problem with anger. I have a problem with rage. I have a problem with evil, malice. I curse. I'm, I'm a wicked person. Tell him. Paul echoes Peter's statement. He says, get rid of these things. Get rid of them. Now, you're having entirely too much fun doing this. This is a serious exercise. You know, in early Christian baptisms, early Christian baptisms, when people came to be baptized, it was customary to take the clothes that they wore when they arrived and throw them away. And then when they came up out of the baptism, because they baptized by immersion, 
when they came up out of the baptism, they were given brand new robes. Do you see the beautiful symbolism there? Threw away the old clothes. You, you, you put off the old life. Colossians chapter 3. You put on the new robe of righteousness. Marvelous expression. Marvelous custom to symbolize the truth. That in salvation, the old is put off. The new is put on. Get rid of this stuff. There's no room for it. There's no excuse for it. And it only continues to hinder. Tremendous hindering of your appetite for the word of God. Now understand something. This is very, very important. Verse 2. Verse 2. The statement of verse 2. Crave pure spiritual work. Is sandwiched between verse 1 and verse 3. Because that phrase in verse 2. Is the key thought in this passage. That's the key thought. The other verses are there to modify it. That's why we started with crave the word. And now these other elements... We're adding because these elements have to be addressed if, in fact, we're to have that craving. Very, very important. So Peter says, in the light of your new life begun, in the light of your new love given, these ugly hindrances that may be hanging over from your old life, they need to be eliminated. Stuff out of your past needs to be eliminated. You can do it. You just have to recognize it, acknowledge it, confess it, and that makes it much easier to repent of it. You'll be free, and you'll have a greater appetite and craving for God's Word. And I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. And you might want to write this on the inside flap of your Bible or someplace prominent. Sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. Sin will keep you from this book, and book will, and, and this book will keep you from sin. If you have no appetite for this word, guess what? There's sin in your life. If you're not reading the Bible, if you don't have a craving for the Bible, you can, you can look at your life and say, well, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm, you know. But if there's no craving for the word, the, for the craving is the fruit, what? It's, it's something that comes when you've gotten sin out of your life. We talked last week about uh, one reason that people don't have a craving for the Word of God is that they're, they're satiated on junk food. They have no more appetite, no more, no more room. They're, they're full. They've had enough of all the world's input. And so now their appetite is sated and jaded, may I add. So sin will keep you from this book, beloved, until you eliminate the hindrances. Until you eliminate the hindrances. He names five of them. Now, he could name many more, but he names five. And in fact, the first one would be sufficient. The first one, he says, malice. All malice. All malice. Get rid of it. The Greek word translated malice is kakia. 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 Does that sound vaguely familiar to something else? Get rid of all the kakia in your life. Kakia. It's a basic Greek word for evil. It's a basic word that means wickedness, general wickedness, a general pervasive malignance of the heart, of the soul, of the flesh, out of which all other evil emerges. Kakia. 
malevolence, a pervasive malevolence. It has to be eliminated. Confession, repentance. The second word he uses is deceit. All deceit. Man, don't be a deceitful person. Don't be a a deceitful person. Get rid of all malice and all deceit. The Greek word for deceit is dolos. It means literally trickery. Trickery. The word originally meant in the Greek, it originally meant fish hook. Do you know the fish hook is a deceitful thing? You put some bait on it and the fish swims up to it, thinks he's going to get dinner and he becomes dinner. It meant fish hook. It's trickery, deceit. Don't be a tricker. Paul uses the same word recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 13, verse 10, when he spoke to Elimus, the sorcerer. He says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of, what? Deceit and trickery. If you're a deceitful person, you can name yourself a Christian, but if you're deceitful, you are no more different than a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You have no love for the word of God. Get rid of the deceit. No more lying. No more deceiving. No more tricky. Get rid of it. Eliminate it. The third word he uses is hypocrisy. From the Greek word, hypocrites. Hypocrites described an actor who wore a mask. An actor who wore a mask. It almost is borderlines on deceit, doesn't it? Sure. One who's acting a part. They're just acting apart and concealing the real motives. I got my mask on. I'm playing the game. I'm pretending. I got a smile on. I hate you, but I'm smiling at you. We all know what that is, don't we? We all do it. We're hypocrites. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Have the courage to get rid of it. Don't be a spiritual phony. There's nothing that's, that's more disgusting and more pitiful than a spiritual phony. And you can spot them a mile away. It's disgusting. Get rid of it. Third word, fourth word he uses, envy. Ooh, this is an ugly, ugly thing, envy. Envy is just kind of essentially wanting what others have. It's resenting their blessing, resenting their prosperity. And it leads to grudges. It leads to bitterness, it leads to hatred, it leads to conflict. Envy is an ugly sin. We mask it well for a season. For a season. And the last term he uses, things we should get rid of, he says slander of every kind. Slander of every kind. The Greek word is katalelia. That's in the monopat, I can't even think of the word, you know what I'm saying. Monopatopalia, is that right? How is it? Onomatopoeia. 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 It's a unique word. Katalelia. Say it. Katalelia. Kata, evil. Remember from Kakia? Kata is evil. Lelia, speaking, speech. Evil speech. Katalelia. Disparaging gossip. Talking about people behind their back when they're not there to defend themselves. Cutting them down. Judging them, 
prejudicing, biasing other people against them. Katalelia. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. You know what the greatest sin in the church is? It's not adultery. You know what the greatest sin in the church is? Gossip. How we love, how we love. We'd all agree. We say, oh, gossip's a bad thing. Right? Would you all agree? But most all of us do it. And many of us enjoy it. We get some, some pleasure in being able to say, I know something about John. Would you like to know? And everybody goes, yeah. We love it. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the slander, the evil speaking in our midst, beloved. Malice. Here's some blanks for you to fill in. Malice or evil. Malice or evil leads to deceit. I want you to notice the progression in Peter's thought here. It leads to deceit because when you're evil, you want to deceive people. Do you see how malice leads to deceit? Because when you're evil, you want to deceive people. And that deceit leads to hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy leads to envy of the genuine. Why? Because you can't be genuine. You won't be genuine. So you envy the genuine. And that envy of the genuine leads to slander of others. Do you see how that works? You can't just eliminate one. You've got to get rid of them all. You've got to get rid of them all. Because they're all interconnected. There's a pathway there. And these things would be the very opposite of brotherly love, wouldn't they? The very opposite of what Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart. Do you agree? Would brotherly love be malicious? Would brotherly love be malicious? No. Would brotherly love be deceitful? No. Would brotherly love be hypocritical or envious or slanderous? No. He says, get the trash out of your life. Strip off the filthy rags. Get rid of this stuff. Get rid of it. Strip it off. Deal with it. Confess it. Repent of it. Eliminate it. It needs to go out of your life, beloved, if you're going to have a craving for pure spiritual milk. I was told recently of a man, and this happens far too regularly, a man who was living with a woman, not his wife, And I was told that they were attending a Bible study together. How admirable. I thought to myself, that's not admirable. I said, what hypocrisy. An adulterer, an adulterous man taking his adulterer to a Bible study. And when I voiced that to the person who told me about this event, they said, well, but you don't understand. They the, he, he, he's really interested in the Word of God. He's interested in the Word. I said, there, don't tell me that. Don't tell me he's interested in the Word. He's not interested in the Word. They said, well, how can you say that? Because there's no appetite for the Word until wickedness is laid aside. Isn't that what Peter just taught us? 
You can't desire the word. You can't crave the word really until you lay aside your wickedness, your evil. Otherwise, you're still a hypocrite. You're still a deceitful person. You're still full of malice. Lay aside that wickedness. You want a craving? You got to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. To have that desire for God's word requires some strong repentance, beloved. Some strong repentance. And if you're a person who, who has not that desire, you name yourself a Christian, you're not in God's word, you're not being nourished as God intends for you to be, and you're not growing and maturing up in your faith, you've either forgotten your life source or there's sin in your life that you need to get rid of. It's taking up that space. It's, that's blunting your appetite for the word, keeping you away from it. You got to give it up. You got to give it up. So remember your life source. Get rid of your sin. Amen? Amen. Next week, we're going to look at the other three, the last three of these dynamics. You don't want to miss it because it only builds from here. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, again, we are thankful for your word. Your word is rich, it is alive, it is powerful, it is everything that we need. Lord, open our eyes to the sufficiency of your word. Lord, even that the the newest babe amongst us would see and understand clearly how critical and important your word is in our life. God, you have to do that for us. You have to do that. Help us, O God. Help us to be faithful stewards of that which you've entrusted to us. That we would love your word. We would delight in your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep your heads bowed for just another moment. I want to take a moment real quickly. There may be somebody here this morning, and I don't want to let this opportunity pass. You came here not a Christian. You came here maybe you weren't sure if you were a Christian. Maybe you've heard some things this morning that have challenged everything you believe and everything you've held on to. Maybe for the very first time, your eyes have been opened and you've seen what Christianity is all about. It's being holy towards God. It's loving one another deeply from the heart, and it's having a craving for His Word. And you look into your life and you say, you don't have those things. Maybe you've tried to justify yourself. You say, well, I'm a good person. That's not good enough. You've got to be born again. Well, I don't want to be called born again. You know all those born agains. No, no, no. You become one. I used to say that. Now I am one. You've got to be born again. If you're not born again... You'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll not be saved. If you died today, you'd die in your sins and you'd spend eternity all alone, forever lost, never seeing another person, being estranged from God, every other creature, and even estranged from yourself. Hopeless, lost forever and ever and ever. The wages of sin is death. And either you're going to spend all eternity paying that price or you can trust that Jesus already paid the full price for you on that cross 2,000 years ago. I can't convince you. That's God's job. I can only announce there's salvation to be had. There's a new life to be had. There's forgiveness of sins to be had. There's a new eternity to be had. 
for those who will believe, for those who will say, I need that, I want that. There has to be a palpable, real sense in your life that you're lost, that you're a sinner, you're perishing, you're under God's wrath. And you want to, be, you want to come under His grace. If you want to be saved, I want to pray with you. I'll pray a short little prayer in just a moment. But I don't want to pray by myself. I want to know if there's anybody that wants to pray that prayer with me. Say, you know, Pastor, I want a new life. I want my sins forgiven. I don't want God mad at me. I don't want his guns of judgment trained on me. I want to be saved, whatever it takes. If that's the center of your heart, and it's real this morning, then I need you to signal me just by lifting your hand real quickly. Go, and I'll pray in a minute. All right, I see your hand right there. Over here, see that hand up there. Back over there on that side. Okay, anybody else? Just lift your hand. Come on. Anybody else? Way in the back. I see that hand. Okay, God bless you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand quickly now. We don't have much time left. All right, there's a second group of people I want to talk to real quickly. There's some of you that God has spoken to your heart this morning. You call yourself a Christian. But the truth is that you're not holy towards God. The truth is you don't love your brothers deeply from the heart. And you don't have a craving for his word. And God has spoken to you about that. He's convicted you. He's put it in your heart. He said, this is you. This is you. And you're sitting there saying, God, I can't get away from this. This is true. You want to change that. You want to make a a new start this morning. You can. I want to pray with you too. So I'm going to ask you, lift your hands if God's spoken to you in any way. Lift your hands. Now, go. All right, if you're serious about this. Okay, get those hands up now. You know who you are. Okay? Good. All right, put your hands down. Now, those of you, those of you that raised your hand first to pray to receive Jesus, I want you to stand right now. Stand up. Okay? Good. Stand up. Usher, just see who they are. Okay? The second group, those of you that raised your hands in the second group, I want you to stand now. Go. Church, do you see all these people standing? Church, look up, look around. If you're a Christian, I want you to gather around these people who are standing. Now, here's first. listen to me first. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to introduce yourself, find out their name. Second, I, say, I want you to ask them, why are you standing? You, do you want to receive Jesus, or do you want prayer for strength in one of these areas? Whatever it is, if it's to receive Jesus, you pray with them to become a Christian, and then the others, you pray with them for whatever the issue is. Ready? Go. Go. 